This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Looking to see your collection in greater detail? Check out the wide selection of Carson magnifying products and microscopes available at amosadvantage.com. Count on Carson to bring you truly innovative, high-quality optics at extraordinary value. And count on Amos Advantage for all your coin collecting supply needs. Visit amosadvantage.com to explore our inventory. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at b h e r t e l at amosmedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World podcast. Welcome to the Coin World podcast. With your host, Jeff Stark. As I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coin World Podcast. I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark. We are delighted to be joining you today as uh, we do every week. Yeah, we certainly uh, look forward to this opportunity to tell you all the things that are going on in the world. We've got a very special guest today. We're not going to have a situation like last week where we do have an actual guest lined up this time. So it's going to be great to see that. And our thanks once again. First of all, uh, before we thank Amos Advantage for all that they do for us, I want to thank the folks that have contacted us in the last week. We've gotten a few more emails than we normally have and some great story suggestions and some great ideas that uh, we're going to be looking at in the future. I know that uh, we've seen quite a few uh, suggestions come in here lately, and we'd love to see those. Hopefully, we can get to as many of them as we possibly can. So I'd love to book up our our future now with the shows coming in as far as going to the ANA and going to the fun show. We're both going to be at both of those coming up. Jeff's not going to sign autographs. His agent won't allow it, but uh, we're going to be at those shows. So hopefully we'll be able to get the podcast in line as well. So thanks for all your suggestions. Oh, yeah. And I I will say, just to clarify, so, you know, I don't want to steal Larry's thunder here, but he lined up Seth Chandler of Witter Coin this week for the interview. And he was not the person who canceled out uh, last episode. Uh, I did have somebody ask me who that was. And I said, well, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, even though I'd like to drive the bus. Uh, I'd like to be the bus driver sometimes, but that was not uh, that was it was not Seth. But we speak to him later this show, and boy, what a neat thing they are doing! So uh, I guess it's time to for Larry to, to tell us what's going on in the world of numismatics right now, as as we're gearing up for uh, fun and the Missouri Numismatic Society show. I'll be going to that at the end of July, and then A and A a couple weeks later. Things are coming back. Lots of lots of market activity. What should everyone be aware of right now? Yeah, and also I'm going to be going to Collectorama the week before fun too. So that's going to be just saw Ed posted something recently on Facebook about that, and the uh, it's it's really exciting to see how many folks are really getting interested in going back to these shows. We've been seeing some of the uh, shows that have already been held out in Denver and some of the other places, and seeing it all come back here. But uh, time to take a look at the news as uh, Coin World presents you the news that's happening in the world. And uh, the Mint's been dominating a lot of the news attention here lately because they have now announced that they are going to resume the pre-ordering for the Morgan and Peace dollars. They uh, had started the program, ran into some problems with bots, ran into some issues, and so they uh, pulled it back. 
and now they're going to give everybody a chance to uh, get in their orders. They are uh, put tightening down some of the limits. The American Eagle also got affected by that one. So, uh, you know, you can check out that story online at coinworld.com and find out more about that. The Air Force Medal, that was a big story a couple of weeks ago. Well, as it turns out, they needed a special planchet, and they didn't have that one. So they had to, as we say, ground the Air Force Medal. So that didn't take off, and it's going to be taken off at a later date for those who are interested in getting the, the silver medal honoring the United States Air Force. Another big story that came down, it came down from uh, close to me, as a matter of fact. The folks over at Independent Coin Grading were uh, sent some submissions uh, that were the uh, end of World War II, 75th anniversary American Eagles with the Privy Mark, and they found out these coins that they received were not real. They were fakes. They were purchased on uh, social media, and they were not real. So uh, somebody uh, spent some serious money on something like that and did not get what they paid for. So here again, you've got to be very, very careful out there. If it's too good to be true, odds are that it's it's probably not going to be true. Steve Roach has been uh, looking at some of the auctions that have been going down here. Some great coins have been selling, and the auction folks have been really, really busy they're lining up their consignments for the uh, ANA show that's coming up in August uh, in Rosemont. The uh, Heritage Auction connected to the Fun Show is actually going to be taking place in Dallas a week after the show. So uh, those consignments are getting all lined up because that's going to be here before we realize it. It's going to be coming pretty, pretty quickly here. But uh, we also on the uh, world front there, some new coins coming out uh, in uh, some of the interesting coins, the fin whale coming out as well. Also, there's a new book out about Swedish coins. So uh, those are two of Jeff's stories and the contribution made for our latest issue. We invite you to be a subscriber and get it. Also, some of these stories will be appearing on coinworld.com. So that's our news digest for this week. And uh, hopefully you can find some interesting items in there. And uh, we hope that you make your suggestions on uh, some more items we can talk about at the uh, Coin World podcast. And speaking of items, I have a shipment coming from Amos Advantage. I'm not going to tell you about it until it gets here. So Amos Advantage is the place to go for your supplies. Keep that in mind. And our thanks to Amos Advantage for their continued support. That's a look at what's going on today. But uh, hey, Jeff, let's go back in the past a little bit because we're on the verge of July and that's a very important time for us. It was very hard to look back at the this week in numismatic history. I mean, and pick just one. I, there was a lot to weigh, but I think I, I found one that's really cool, and I think um, the listeners are going to love it. Got to go back to June thirtieth of eighteen eighty seven. So, eighteen eighty seven. That was a hundred and thirty four years ago, if my math is correct. That was when President Grover Cleveland pardoned. The man known as the King of Counterfeiters, Thomas Ballard. Uh, Ballard had been sentenced to 30 years in prison in 1875. So uh, he served roughly 12 years of his sentence. And you can find stories of Ballard online and certainly uh, in books. I have some books that mention him and, and other famous counterfeiters. Uh, he was the king of counterfeiters as he was known. The New York Times for July 1st, 1887 on the front page 
reported about the pardon the day before. It says the president's pardon sets at liberty a man who was in his day unquestionably the most skillful counterfeiter who has ever operated in this country. And then you see in 1876, he was sent to prison in 1874. In 1876, the Chicago Tribune reported that, uh, you know, this is facts about counterfeits and counterfeiters that was actually picked up by a, a small town paper in Kansas. But they were basically, it's it's the um, old version of, uh, you know, the wire service. The Chicago Tribune says, an impression prevails that there is an enormous quantity of counterfeit money in circulation. The truth is there is little. The only engravers working who were considered experts, Tom Ballard, Benjamin Boyd, and George White, have been sent to the penitentiary since October 1st, 1874. The first for 30 years and the last two for 10 years each. And uh, just fascinating to read these contemporaneous reports of folks who were caught. They were faking local money. I mean, there was this reference, the story references an inferior workman who cut the Richmond, Indiana $10 plate and the title plate for the Lafayette, Indiana $10 note. It took three years for the federal government to get Ballard to catch him and to get him imprisoned. After almost 13 years, just, you know, 12 years, nine months, roughly, Grover Cleveland pardoned him. I thought that was, it's interesting what the historical moment can sort of send you off looking down the historical rabbit hole, as it were. And, uh, you know, it's just coincidental. We're talking about counterfeit coins this week in the news. Unfortunately, paper money has been counterfeited as, as, you know, as well in uh, recent times, but certainly in the past, as was happening this week, June 30th, 1887, the king of counterfeiters got free. Wow. That was fun. That reminds me of another story we have in this upcoming issue, and that is dealing with counterfeit uh, bills in the the 500 rupee note in India. Is the uh, they're finding about a 30 percent increase in counterfeits just in that denomination. They're finding other denominations have decreased as far as counterfeiting goes, but the counterfeit 500 rupee notes are starting to really show up quite a bit. Now, we're thankful for the work of the ACEF and people like that who are kind of containing this. So we certainly hope that this counterfeiting issue can get under control. But now knowing that it's been going on for over 140 years, if not longer, you know, it's just like they say, the first auto accident occurred when the first two cars were on the road. So I'm sure the first counterfeiters uh, were probably back in the Roman times or even before. Coinage is as old as ancient times, and counterfeit coins are uh, just uh, about a day younger. So <laughs> they're, uh, they've been there from the beginning. That was really our, our look at this week in numismatic history. But then we go to this week in coin world history, and it's interesting to look at the June 30th, 1976 cover of the issue. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We can see that this major story on the front page, one facet of it did actually come to pass, but several things that were suggested did not and have still not come to pass. The headline is Major Coinage Change uh, Brews for U.S. The lead there is Announcement of Proposed Major Changes in United States Coin Denominations 
and designs may be just around the corner, CoinWorld has learned. Uh, neither the Treasury Department nor the Bureau of the Mint would confirm or deny a succession of speculative reports this week. So this was based on a Research Triangle Institute study. Uh, they had received a contract to explore the coinage system and review coinage requirements uh, for 1990, which in many ways, 1990, oh, that was like 10 years ago. No, try 31. <laughs> but, any, but anyway, uh, you know, w- what were the changes that were suggested that the one cent coin might be phased out, that a two cent piece might take its place, and that a smaller, handier dollar was an option? Uh, in addition, a 12 and a half cent coin and an 11 sided coin have been considered but rejected. So we know with hindsight that the dollar to be issued in a smaller size with a new classic design. Well, part of that's right because it was, you know, less than three years after this report that the uh, Susan B. Anthony dollar was launched. Although I would hardly call the design classic. The design that would have been classic is Frank Gasparro's Liberty Head. And boy, is it beautiful. And it's been featured on numerous private uh, metals and and they're out there. I mean, I have a couple myself, but you know, for all the beauty and grandeur of that design, instead we got Susan B. Anthony, which uh, you know, yes, yeah, certainly smaller than the Eisenhower dollar, much easier to transport, uh, but it had its own issues. People confused it with the quarter and so on. And you know, 1976, that was 45 years ago. So we still have the one cent coin. We're not getting a two cent coin. Uh, you know, if anything, the five cent coin would, could be eliminated as well, given the production cost, the value of nickel and, and that sort of thing. So 45 years later, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're still talking about getting rid of the cent. We're still talking about the dollar's place in coinage as far as uh, a circulating coin goes. But, uh, you know, who knows? That was certainly big news sweeping the hobby that week. Was there anything in the letters pages that jumped out at you? And again, we don't coordinate this. Maybe you chose a letter that references something I've talked about here, whether that's counterfeits or um, coinage changes. Well, indirectly, it does have to do with the coinage changes type thing because what I'm looking at right now in the letters section is called Lost Perspective. And it says, It seems to me that most people involved in the hobby of coin collecting and the minting of such coins have lost a very important perspective. That is simply that this field really got its start from the youngsters years ago who were so attracted to the Indian head, and in quotations, penny, that they decided to start saving them. The American Indian has been completely forgotten once again. He's been removed from our penny and from our nickel. This field really got its start because people wanted to hold on to an integral part of our history from our Mayflower days to the Old West. Why in heaven's name couldn't the Mint consider putting Longacres Indian back on the scent for the bicentennial? If not on the scent, then how about the return of the Buffalo Nickel? After all, it was this attraction that first started this tremendous growing field. It may seem like nostalgia, but I'm sure that if the Indian was returned to the scent piece and the buffalo and Indian were once again minted on the nickel, this field would again witness a powerful growth that would be unbelievable. So there you have a letter dealing with both the scent and with the nickel. 
incorrectly identifying the buffalo being the bison. But uh, that's just, you know, and he, he called it Penny, but he did put it in quotation marks. I'll give him that. And that's uh, Frank DeLise from Merrick, New York. Now, another letter that I found interesting, and that's because it reflects the changing times, more or less. And this letter was printed in Coin World as we're leading up to the bicentennial, yet it has nothing to do with the bicentennial. And I got to thinking about that. Maybe if we'd have put the uh, buffalo nickel back, we could have called it the bicentennial, B-I-S-O-N, never mind. I was thinking the same thing. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Okay, yeah. This is called No Return Address. Several weeks ago, we received a mail order from an unknown customer in the Baltimore or Washington, D.C. area who did not include a name or return address. Enclosed was a cashier's check drawn on the Maryland National Bank for $25 and an order for a proof-like dollar from the 1870s. Not going to get specific on that one. Says, we've been waiting to hear from this customer but have not as of yet, so we hope you'll be kind enough to print this letter so that he may contact us regarding this matter. It was signed by the general manager, Harry W. Walker, of the Steve Ivey Rare Coin Company in Dallas, Texas. Can you imagine? Here's this dealership trying to do business, and this guy, the way people complain about the turnaround and customer service and that type of thing, and this one's all because somebody forgot some very important information. I hope this one had a happy ending, I mean, a twenty-five dollar check in nineteen seventy-six is pretty significant. So, yeah, but a, a guy named Walker selling coins. There okay. you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's uh, yeah. But so we're working for Steve Ivey, and we all know what happened with the Steve Ivey Rare Coin Company. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So that company has uh, a strong heritage in the in the business. Dun dun dun. I got my bicentennial in, you got your heritage in there. So, yeah, so those were some of the letters. There were a couple of more, a lot of them bicentennial themed, a lot of them picking on the mint and how they hated the mint sets from uh, the 1976 and why it took so long and why they couldn't uh, tell them when they were going to be delivered. So, yada yada yada. That's just the letters page for now. So that's the way it stacks up on that one. We're going to let that end right where it stands. A reminder, we'll be talking to Seth Chandler from the Witter Coin Company a little bit later on in this presentation. We've got some more business to take care of, but stick around so you can hear what uh, Seth has to tell us because you're going to be very excited about this, especially those of you ages 13 to 21. Absolutely. It is far from uh, a trivial thing. A horrible pun, but, you know, it's time for trivia. I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot, uh, as I did last week. I mentioned last week, because you asked me about my collecting and how I got into it and this and that. My uh, mother's mother, my maternal grandmother, uh, when I was 12 or 14, somewhere in there, she allowed me to buy coins that she had, and one of them was the only three-cent nickel, copper nickel, that I own, three-cent piece. Would that it had been the silver, uh, but it wasn't, but okay, it's still, it's a neat little thing, and uh, you know, that coin has a special place in my heart because I got it from her, and I just, you know, this is a one of those stab-in-the-dark things, you can't go to the Red Book, you can't go to the Coin Rolled Almanac, which is available through amisadvantage.com. You, you can't go anywhere to find the answer. You just It just has to, it's a guess. I wanted to know how, I wanted you to tell me if you know or have any idea 
uh, how much I paid for the coin. And I did pay for it. I mean, I, you know, I, it wasn't, it was a, a gift, but it was, you know, there was a, a little string attached. Uh, do you have any idea what I paid for that three cent piece? Well, since there is no recourse as far as referencing or, and I don't know the individual involved in this, but I do know that grandmothers, because I had a couple of them myself, grandmothers sometimes can be very benevolent. They sure, they want to do everything for their grandchildren. You know, if I'd known grandchildren were so good, I'd have skipped over the children and had them too. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the idea is this. I think your grandmother was very fair. And I think she charged you three cents for it. You are barking up the right tree, but uh, you grabbed the wrong branch. Because she said, just pay me whatever face value is. And me, not knowing better, said, oh, that's the size of a dime. This is a 10 cent coin. And so I paid 10 cents for it. And, you know, obviously it was worth far more than 10 cents or three cents or whatever. And even today it's a $20, $25 coin. It's very nice. It's, But it's the story of how I got it and from whom I got it. You know, my grandma, uh, uh, it's been almost 14 years since she died. So that I got that from. So it's it's something I can hold and remember her by and that story of how I got it, you know, we all, all, all of us collectors have, or many, I should say, many of us have stories like this uh, from family members, hopefully, or mentors, people in the clubs. Uh, you know, I just was at the Missouri Numismatic Society meeting, you know, the monthly meeting for June, and there was a, a, a guy there with his young son and another friend. I've met at a shop. He gave him a a pile of books and said, here you go, you know, world coin books and this and that, and, you know, to try to foster that interest. So whatever, however you came into it, there's always folks doing stuff like this. I mean, I, there's some groups on Facebook that there, there's a guy, I don't know exactly where he is, but his daughter had been selling coins and she had money in this coin purse and they went to, a show a couple weeks ago and in North Carolina, I believe it was Raleigh where um, actually Paul Landsberg was uh, one of our interview subjects and he's the, the showrunner there, the the Borscht chair. And the father said, Hey, you know, she lost this. I'm donating coins for her to sell who wants to buy them. And, you know, there are a couple folks who stepped up and said, Whatever these sell for, I'll match it. I'll double it. And somebody else chimed in and said, I'll do the same. And, you know, the kindness, the goodness that exists in the coin hobby at all these levels, especially with beginners, you know, it's, it's easy to dwell on the, the million dollar stuff and the, and the people making rips. I mean, you know, some guys talk about rips, you know, they, they cherry picked this or that from a dealer and, or, you know, they, they bought it from some unsuspecting person or whatever. And that's a part of this, but thank goodness there's so much goodness in there as well. It's those things that really resonate with us. I can't put a value on that uh, three cent coin. I'm not going to look in the red book. I'm not going to look at the coin world uh, coin values guide. 
because uh, it's intangible. It's it, it's priceless because of the connection. And, and, and hopefully there's a lot of those. There's tons of those connections that we just don't know about that, you know, are happening in the hobby every day, uh, every week. And, and hopefully, you know, anybody listening there, if they've not been the recipient of it, perhaps they can, or whether they've been a recipient of it or not, perhaps they can help others be recipients of that goodness. We want to hear those stories of, of how people have been helped and, and all that. So <laughs> that was the long answer. Okay. So there's the long answer right there. And I'm sure you have another question, but that long answer that you just gave us right here is the perfect segue into how the good of this hobby comes about. And that's what we're going to be talking about with our guest today, Seth Chandler from Witter Coin Company in San Francisco, because there is an upcoming event that we're going to tell you a little bit about called the Witter Coin University. So let's now open up the floor to uh, get a chance to hear what Seth has to say. And then once we're finished with that, we're going to get into next week's trivia question. So right now, give a listen to our friend from San Francisco, Seth Chandler from Witter Coin Company. The Coin World Podcast is pleased today to have Seth Chandler from Witter Coin on board as we have a very special event coming up here. And uh, Seth is here to tell us all about it. Seth, welcome to the Coin World Podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. The event we're talking about, of course, we announced it recently in Coin World, the print publication, as well as on our website. And uh, it's been a buzz in social media for a little bit longer than that. And that is the first Coin University. Seth, the Coin University, how did that idea come about? You know, I guess one of the, the benefits of COVID, there's not very many, but it gives you time to think because you have a little bit more time on your hands. And um, I would say probably about three or four months ago, I'm sitting around and, you know, we're pretty active on social media and on Instagram particularly. And I realized how many young numismatists that are out there that are starving for information and content about coins. And they're all over social media. And I'm thinking, okay, they're just like my kids. It's been a rough year and a half. You know, like my, for example, my 19 year old son didn't have a high school graduation. His first year of college was done in the living room with his laptop. I mean, granted, you know, health wise, we were all fine. So I'm thankful for that. But um, it was a tough period for kids. And if you're a young numismatist, you know, that means there's no coin shows. You know, the ANA summer seminar was canceled, no coin club meetings, and they're just starving for information. I said, you know what? All these kids have done so well getting through this and they've been through so much. It's really a unique time in history that let's figure out a way as the coin collecting community can reward them. So I thought, well, if I could raise the money, which I knew I could raise the money, I could fund a handful of young numismatists, 21 and under, to come out to San Francisco for one week for an all expense paid trip and learn everything about coins. And, you know, it includes coin grading, coin authentication, toning, you know, all the all the various topics that I think all the kids are interested in. You know, frankly, the, the hardest part that I thought was going to happen was actually the easiest part. And that was getting the instructors on board. David McCarthy is uh, one of the instructors and he was sitting right here in my office. And this was, I don't know, right after the new year, you know, it's maybe around February. I said, David, I got this crazy idea. And as soon as the word young numismatist came out, he interrupted me to say, I'm in whatever you need. I'm here to help. And I was like, wow, okay, well, let me tell you about it. So, you know, I, I spoke to him, spoke to John Brush, Devin Hip, Jim Stouchesteig, uh, Kevin Kaufman. We're all going to have a, like an all-star lineup of, of instructors at Wittercoin University. So that's kind of in a nutshell. 
Yeah, and but the thing of it is, you're having an all-star lineup of uh, instructors, but you're not going to compact what they're going to be learning from that because you're giving all these instructors plenty of opportunity to impart all the knowledge and give these persons this one-on-one contact they've been missing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, they get to see coins in person. You know, you can't get that on social media or, or over the internet. I mean, technology is great. You can make great videos of coins, which I do all the time. But nothing beats a, holding a coin in your hand and having super knowledgeable numismatists explain the context of that coin. So yeah, you can't beat it. Now, what was the criteria to determine who's going to be able to attend this event? This is not a public event, is it? You know, it's, it's funny you bring that up. We've had a, a ton of people that have offered to to pay to come in or or even a lot of adults, but it's, it's strictly dedicated to young numismatists between the ages of 13 and 21. And if you're under 18 years of age, if you're 13 to 17, you're a minor, we'll also pay for a parent or a guardian to come with you. Because quite frankly, we can't babysit kids, but you know that's why a parent will show up and you could turn it into a, a family vacation. The criteria is very simple. We're trying to identify the kids that we feel that this experience, they would get the most out of it. It would potentially even change their lives. Because when I was 13 and 14, I went to the ANA summer seminar. And a long time ago in the late 80s. And I got to tell you, quite frankly, it changed my life as far as numismatics are concerned. Many of the the people, the kids that I met back then, uh, I'm still very good friends with today. In fact, Jim Stouchestike, who works over at Heritage, we were in the ANA Summer Seminar together when we were 14, 15 years old. He's going to be one of the instructors at Wittercoin University. So it it really kind of boils down to, you know, your heart. You know, uh, how into it are you and and what's your thirst for knowledge? And you know, the, the criteria to enter is is you submit a video to us, you know, uh, explaining to us why you think you'll get something out of it, why you want to go. Then there's a list of nine questions and you pick three and simply answer them that are related to numismatics. So it's, it's wide open to everybody between 13 and 21. When you got your first video and your first video showed up, how were you taken? I mean, how did you react to it to know that somebody did take the time and get the video made up and take the time to answer the questions? Are they avoiding certain questions is the big question I have. But what was it like for you to finally see that and know that your idea was coming to life? It was very emotional, insanely emotional. And instantly, why didn't I do this before? Because if you watch some of the videos, you know, we also, when we grant a scholarship, we do it, you know, on FaceTime or Zoom. So it's live. You know, when I was a kid, you got a letter in the mail, which was great, but we do it live and we surprise them. It's an unbelievable feeling. And, you know, half the time the kids kind of get teary eyed. I get teary eyed. Sometimes the parents will jump on and you have no idea this will help to change my, my kid's life. And this is, you know, what's crazy is they're, they're like, wow, we look at our phone every single day to see if you're going to call air code 415 from San Francisco. Like they're truly waiting. So it's exciting. It's like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory and you're getting the golden ticket. So I have a lot of responsibility to really kind of hone in and choose. But, you know, to answer that, I get very emotional. You know, the whole team does. Because, you know, when you have a 14-year-old kid that goes, that sends you a video and he's excited, they've never been out of their state. They've never been to California. You know, they're, they're you could tell they're really passionate about coins, but they're just trying to connect. We could deliver that for them. It's the greatest feeling in the world. You can't top it. It really is. Besides the sort of, uh, as you described it, the immediate positive response from all the folks who want to help teach the classes, you've had a very strong response from fellow dealers to help support this initiative. Can you talk about that? Yeah, good point. Good point. Like, you know, there's there's two components to this. There's like, hey, anybody knows any young numismatists that would like like to do this, please refer them to the website, wittercoinfund.com. 
There's also donations. This doesn't happen without money. And, you know, our goal is to raise $100,000. We're most of the way there, and then we'll definitely get there. But um, a lot of dealers have contributed financially, but just in terms of a lot of support. I mean, obviously, the, the dealers that I appreciate the most are the instructors because their time is insanely valuable. They're leaving, you know, their families, their business for a full week, you know, just to give an incredible experience to 25 young numismatists. So I really, really, really appreciate that. But, you know, there's a lot of dealers that are sending the red books, you know, uh, magnifying glasses, little bags of coins, whatever it may be, historical auction catalogs that you can learn a lot from. So, yeah, everyone's been really receptive, which, you know, just a testament to the coin collecting community and the coin dealer community when it comes to young numismatists that reach out for help, like everyone comes out of the woodwork. So it's been it's been outstanding. Is this going to be focusing primarily on U.S. coins or we're going to get into world and, and paper as well? Yeah, we'll, we'll complement. I think the majority of what the, the kids want to learn is about U.S. coins, but we're definitely going to complement with a series on ancient coins and, and obviously foreign coins and some paper money as well. You know, we're trying to bring as many coins as they could touch and feel in person, too. I think that's critical. So then you're going to open up your showcases at your San Francisco location is what you're saying. <laughs> you know, there's going to be like a winter coin night at the shop. Well, let's just say that. But we're going to have a lot of, you know, less expensive coins actually at, you know, the, uh, the, the conference center where we're having it. You know, because in the end, it doesn't need to be like an expensive coin. But, you know, you have a, a, a grading set of wheat cents that go from good to like MS65. Not valuable at all, but it's just good for kids to learn how to grade wheat cents or Morgan Dollars, for example. Now, here we are. We're, you know, less than a month away from this going to be happening here. Is it too late for somebody to get involved in uh, Wittercoin University? No, not at all. We have um, we're giving out 25 scholarships and we've uh, probably given out about 20 as of today. So there's still some room. So any young numismatists that are out there, I highly encourage them to apply for sure. You say that's at Wittercoinfund.com? Yep, exactly. Okay. So obviously then we would uh, hope that the businesses pick up the ball as well here while there's still an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if any of uh, these coin firms out there that want to uh, send us, you know, to our, to our headquarters of Witter Coin, you know, some materials that they think that young numismatists would get something out of, older coin uh, catalogs, whatever it may be, please feel free to send it. Or, you know, we could always use money. You know, every dollar helps. Now, uh, this is sort of, I don't want to connect the two, but this year the summer seminar was canceled by the ANA. And so this mm -hmm. sort of, to me, is a nice option for those who, you know, wanted to do that. Uh, you envision this to continue on annually, though, correct? Or how, how does that look? How is that going to work? Great question. I have no idea. I'm actually just spending so much time trying to get this launched and just you know where these kids have an amazing experience you know a lot of people do bring it up they like can't wait till next year and i'm like i didn't even know we were planning it next year but you know I, <laughs> I, yeah my main focus was to give an incredible experience to 25 kids that just got through a really challenging year and a half with covid so i mean i'm always open-minded you know if people are like you know we must do it again or whatever it may be it, it boils down to a lot of things it's not just me but yeah, that'd be great. And in terms of like the ANA Summer Seminar, which I think is a cornerstone of our hobby, you know, I think that Wittercoin University can kind of complement the approach that they do. You know, we're structuring things that may be a little bit different. You know, we're going to try to engage with more coins and, you know, we're going to obviously be located in San Francisco. So it's fun to tour a city like San Francisco. You know, one of the things we're sure. doing is all the students arrive, arrive on a Saturday. Sunday, we have one of those monstrous tour buses. We're going to take everybody all around San Francisco, jump out at, you know, exciting places, Fisherman's Wharf, they're going to see the Bay, the Mints, Telegraph Hill, whatever it may be, all the, all the good stuff, because most of the students have not even been to California. 
It's going to be more than just the numismatic side. Make sure you put them on Lombard Street, especially by your location. They are going to spend time at your location, aren't they? Oh, yeah. We're going to have uh, one night where it's going to be Witter Coin, pizza night at Witter Coin. So, um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because every student, when I ask them, like, what are they looking to get out of Witter Coin University? There's typically three things. Number one is they want to meet other kids just like themselves that are really into coins. Number two, and I thought this was interesting, they really want to understand how the coin business works and like how a coin shop works, like behind the scenes. You know, number three is grading. So because of their feedback, I said, you know what, why don't we just have like a larger event at the shop? We have a pretty large coin shop where I walk the kids through, we have pizza, we look at coins, but you know, more importantly, we're going to have a lot of one-on-ones. Each, each kid has an opportunity to intern here during that week for about four hours with me. So they're going to get the VIP tour. They're going to work the counter. They're going to buy and sell coins, but they're going to get the full, what it's like to work at a coin shop experience for four hours. And I'm, I'm really excited for that because I know surprisingly a lot of these kids want to be coin dealers. They're really into it. They would think that with the uh, brick and mortar that you have, as far as the coin shop goes, and you have the customers here, I think the customers would be excited about knowing that they could play a small part in this as well. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. I hit them up for money. I hit a part in everything. A lot a lot of people who have uh, donated to the fund, you know, they want to show up at, at Wintercoin University just to see what it's like. And, and that's one of the reasons why we publish all the videos on our Instagram account of kids that have applied and kids uh, we've accepted, you know, into Wittercoin U. So they, people want to see, you know, they want to hear them and see them and see what they're getting out of it. So yeah, for sure. Local clients are really interested. Well, the idea that this came about through the social media side of things, I mean, it's just, that is the, definitely, it resonates with the younger audience here, but it's starting to resonate with everybody as we, you know, we're, we're put into the situation where we had to spend more time by ourselves and we stayed connected by virtue of the social media. Were you always an active social media group or did uh, you get some guidance in that before this? You know, it's a good question. I actually started our Instagram account maybe about three years ago for the sole reason that when great coins or great collections would come into our shop that we would buy, I wanted a way to record that, to memorialize it because it always goes so fast and to share it with other people. Because, you know, when you get like great gold coins in a Ziploc bag or an old leather pouch, it's really cool to take a video or images of that. So for the first few years, I was really focused on, uh, you know, just publishing pictures on our Instagram account. But then, you know, what happened last summer, you know, more time on our hands, I started making videos and that was a complete game changer. You know, I have a big mouth, I'm opinionated and I love coins. So I just kind of get on there and just tell it like it is. There's no editing. It makes it a lot easier. And, um, you know, one good thing about doing social media is everyone thinks you're very, very busy because if you do a three minute video every other day, they think you're just always on social media. So it's great. (laughs) (laughs) I can see the advantages to that. Yeah. And you'd be surprised to watch who who watches, you know, who's all over Instagram or watches our account. You know, most of the graders, you know, executives at some very major firms, a lot of the the, the bigger collectors, just a lot of collectors in general. And definitely we have hundreds and hundreds of young numismatists that follow us. And that's that's what's kind of made me thrive a lot more is once I knew that there was a lot more young numismatists that were paying attention than I ever thought. So, you know, like my mama said, I had to stop cussing in my videos. I kind of cleaned it up a little bit, but yeah, because <laughs> I knew there's a younger audience. <laughs> so it's fun. It's been a lot of fun. And it's, it's not just kids. It's, I think that's the direction where it's going. And, um, you know, I actually sat down with Jim Halpern a few months ago for a couple hours, and I really wanted to hone in with him on what, what it was like at Heritage and his executive team with Steve Ivey, what they did to go all in with the internet. You know, it was a fork in the road. And instantly they become the number one auction house within a year when they really focused on the internet and having their auctions online. 
And I kind of feel we're at a crossroads of that now. You know, I don't know like exactly where we're headed, but I'll tell you, social media is very, very big in the coin collecting community. Very big. Yeah, I was just thinking last night at the coin club meeting locally, I'm going, what here at this meeting is something that a young collector would want to participate in and be involved in? And, you know, and I had a fun time and whatever, but it's, you know, it speaks to this reality that and you're meeting people where they are. And I think that's so great because somebody complained to me uh, a week ago at a shop, oh, these young kids don't care about coins, this and that. And I go, yes, they do. You just don't, you're not interacting with them. You're not, you're not going where they are. You're expecting them to come to you. And that sort of attitude is not helpful and is not going to work for the hobby going forward. Oh, they're out there. You know, they've been saying for like 500 years, oh, the coin hobby is full of like old guys and like 80 year old guys. Yeah, coin shows, you see that a lot. But overall, nah, the coin hobby is alive and well. Mark my words. There's a ton of young people, ton of middle-aged people. I mean, for me to move into this shop, this showroom, it's it's about 20 times the size of the old Witter coin. Uh, it was a very large financial investment. And really what anchored it was that, you know, when I would talk to other people, my co- kids go to different schools, I talk to other parents, and I bring up, I have a little coin shop downtown. Half the time, their faces would light up. They'd get excited about their coin collection. Somebody they knew collected coins. Grandmother had coins. There's a lot more coin collectors out there than what people think. And, you know, we just hired a new employee. His name is Jonathan. He's 28 years old. And there's a new kind of knowledge that exists. And it's hard to put my finger on it, but it's internet coin knowledge. Jonathan's never been to a coin show. He's never been to even a coin club meeting. Never even been to a coin shop. But he's, he's online and there's these there's so many forums out there. There's so many venues to look at coins. Granted, it's not the same experience as looking at a coin. But I got to tell you, he showed up here. The kid lights out knows coins very well. And, you know, he's been sorting and organizing a lot of coins. His grading skills are a lot more advanced than what I thought. And again, no coin shows, no coin club meetings, you know, no coin shop visits. It's utterly shocking. And there are thousands of young people out there like this. The hobby's alive and well, trust me. Well, and one of the biggest things about the internet in general, and I'm sure you combat this with your videos, is the accuracy of the information. I mean, you can read things on the internet, Facebook, smaller groups, that type of thing, where they're not necessarily telling you the way it is. Do you see misinformation much um, as much of a problem as I perceive it to be? You know, as an owner of a coin shop, you could imagine all the phone calls we get daily for, hey, I have a 1943 copper penny. That, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. You know, it's a dual-edged sword. Uh, 98% of the information that's out there on social media about coins is, is either very, very like limited and very simple, or it's somewhat like a lottery pick deceiving, like, oh, look for a 1995D with a little bitty this over that, it's worth $25,000. That is very, very frustrating because we have to field a lot of those phone calls. But the other side, it's getting a lot of attention. That's kind of how a lot of people start because they think they have a $10,000 coin. They learn more about coins. They visit a local shop. You know, the core of what Wittercoin does is we, we give honest, free appraisals for your coins, no matter what, no matter who you are. We'll spend time with you. But of course, if somebody seems interested in coins, we try to like encourage them to collect coins. It, it's, a, it's a fun hobby. But I think if, you, if you're into it, your heart's into it, you'll quickly find out where the content is and you would subscribe and follow it. Like we have 7,000 followers on an Instagram account. That's not a lot. There's other people that have more. There's some that probably even have millions, but it's just, it's just, again, it's like lottery pick type stuff. Look through your change and find a million dollar coin. But 
you know, our followers actually follow us. They pay attention, they respond. So, you know, you just got to get out there and find, you know, a, a format that you like and a venue that you like, because, you know, coin collecting is like the beautiful thing about it. There's a million different ways to, to collect coins. Is Instagram your preferred means of social media? Because we personally found out about it through a Facebook group. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instagram and uh, YouTube. You know, you try to do like shorter, quicker things on Instagram and then longer videos on YouTube, you know, because, you know, I, I like to play around with, you know, I, I know nothing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not some social media guru or I really know everything about technology. But, you know, like the new iPhones, for example, they record in 4K, 60, whatever frames per second. When I have proper lighting and I have a great coin, I'm able to record an insane video that beats any still image out there. You really get a sense for how a coin looks in hand. I get excited by that. And YouTube allows you to upload in that high quality versus Instagram doesn't. So, you know, they all kind of work off each other. They're all a little bit different. So you got to kind of pick your spots. But definitely for coins, it's, it's, it's mostly Instagram by far. Are you going to turn the tables on the YNs when they show up from Wittercoin University and have them teach better, uh, better video skills and better social media skills because they're sure. the experts? Sure, sure. Yeah, you know they're they're good. I mean, I always reach out and say, "Hey, how do I figure this out?" or "Hey, how do I figure that out?" It's always the young and know. But you know, it's funny that you bring that up. One thing we're going to teach them as a byproduct is just, you know, when when you're here for for four hours and you're interning, you're going to see how we talk to people, how we carry ourselves, how we conduct business how we treat people that are irrational, how we treat people that are really nice. You know, it's everything goes in a coin shop. So it's just, you know, I hope that's the byproduct because that's what I learned when I was a kid. You know, I worked in a coin shop from 14 to 18, Edgewood Coin Company in Jacksonville, Florida. It's very dear to my heart. But more than about coins, I learned about business and I learned about treating how to treat people. And that's carried all throughout my life. So, you know, I hope some of that stuff kind of resonates through some of the kids. They could teach me about social media and hopefully I could teach them just how to be, you know, better collectors and better people too as well. Well, as you mentioned earlier, your involvement with the ANA summer seminar as a younger person and also now your involvement as the on the coin dealer side at Edgewood. What was it that got you personally, Seth Chandler, interested in numismatics? Uh, I was four years old and I started collecting bicentennial quarters and change. And then it just naturally progressed to the Whitman albums with the wheat cents. And then went from there. Then when I turned 10, it got a little more serious because I would mow lawns to make money. Then I'd go to Edgewood at 10 years old to buy coins for my collection. So then it just kind of took off from there. So I've always been into coins ever since I was very little. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun hobby. Yeah. It's, and now you've turned it into a business too. So, I mean, oh, yeah. and, and now yeah. having this 28-year-old this employees is definitely going to help because this is where a lot of folks are going to learn on either, either side of the counter, one side or the other. So, it's always neat to find out about this. And I'm sure all the persons who attend the Wittercoin University, they're going to have stories very similar because they're going to be a lot fresher being in the range of 13 to 21 years old. So once again, uh, tell us how that anybody can get involved. How can a YN uh, try to get a scholarship? How can persons make a monetary donation? What can people do to help you right now at this point? You know, I think the biggest thing is probably try to uh, encourage YNs to apply, you know, because there's still some slots left. You know, one of my goals was this, was to try to attack young numismatists that's outside of the normal venues. You know, we did post on, on, on Reddit, uh, as well to um, cast a, a wider net to get, you know, kids that, that are outside of the mainstream. So I would encourage young numismatists to apply, but the bottom line is go to, if you're a young numismatist or you're a collector or dealer that like to make a donation, young numismatists like to apply, just go to Witter Coin Fund and everything is right there. You know, the donation column, you know, how to apply everything. I have a video, we have a video on how to apply to as well. So it's a one-stop shop for everything. 
All I wish is that I was about 55 years younger. But anyway, <laughs> that's uh, the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's too much. I don't know. But uh, anyway, this is a great opportunity. And uh, certainly I'm going to be interested in the uh, after effects and what was learned uh, after the July 24th through the 31st period. And it'll be interesting to uh, maybe talk to some of the folks and uh, come back and visit with you once again and find out how things how things went with that. But this is a great idea, and certainly it's going to be uh, monumental for the hobby. It's something that's mm-hmm. definitely needed. It's definitely turning a positive out of the negative that we experienced in the last year or so. So, uh, Seth, I really want to appreciate uh, the time that you spent with us here and wish you the best of luck with this, and thank you once again for taking part in our podcast today. Thank you, man. May I leave your listeners with one, one thing? You may. So a lot of people get together and and they talk about what they could do for the hobby. I would say there's a ton of great ideas. I appreciate all of them. But I think more important than talking about the ideas, I highly encourage and highly recommend anybody that's out there that wants to help our lovely hobby to just pick one idea, just one idea, one idea that you love and spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money on it. If we had a lot more people just doing that, it would be completely different. So just just pick an idea and run with it is my advice. I'd highly suggest. Other than that, Fantastic. thank you for having me on the program. I, I really appreciate it. It's spreading, spreading the love and the knowledge about our hobby. So I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And that was your San Francisco treat for the week. And we're not talking rice aroni. You made the perfect transition from the story of goodness to the goodness going on with the Witter Coin Fund and uh, what it is doing. And because our minds are in San Francisco, because that's where Witter Coin is, I have the trivia question for you based on something from the San Francisco Mint. How apropos, right? Yes, indeed. We all know about the 1893 S. Morgan dollar as having the lowest mintage um, for a San Francisco mint Morgan dollar. So what was the mintage? That's a that's a sort of easy book answer. You know, you can you can look in the book. You can just guess whatever. That's easy. Okay. what what does the red book say the mintage was? But then for a bonus, how many Morgan dollars from the San Francisco mint have a mintage of one million or fewer? And Mm. so so that that at least tells you that gives you a cap on the potential answer for 1893 S. But how many years was the mintage million or lower? including that 1893 S. So two answers. I don't, you don't have to uh, list the year or years for the bonus area, but I do want a, a stab in the dark of how many years the mintage was that. So anyway, that's your project for next week. Now that you've listened to the Coin World podcast, maybe you're going to order from Amos Advantage because you're ordering your supplies. Uh, send us an email if you have a question, comment, complaint, snide remark, uh, maybe not the last one, but um, as Larry noted, we've re- uh, received communiques from several of you. I've tried to respond to everybody. Uh, we are incorporating some of those things. We're going to talk about that uh, going forward. Do reach out to us if you're going to be at FUN or ANA or the Missouri Numismatic Society show. We'll be sure to say hi if we can connect. Until next week, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.
Would you like to sponsor the Coin World podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at b h e r t e l at amosmedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World podcast.